So have you ever been eager about something? You know, eager. You know, you're, you're just, you're on it. You're, you're ready to go. I would imagine a lot of folks are eager right now to, to get out of the house. You know, this, this wise social distancing that we're having as a way to, to love our neighbors and really love ourselves, it has also created a, a restlessness that many of us have, have never experienced in life. But this could be an opportunity for us to learn a new type of, of eagerness. Maybe instead of being eager binge watchers, you know, of that fine collection of franchise films known as High School Musical, you know, maybe, maybe then binge watching that, maybe this could be a time where we could learn to be eager readers. Yeah, eager readers. I saw where one school has an eager reader program. Uh, over the course of seven months, the students at this elementary school can earn prizes for how much time that they read. So the, the lowest prize you can get is for 600 minutes of reading, which is like you know, 30 minutes for like three weeks, something like that, 30 minutes a day. And so, so the prize for 600 minutes of reading is this really cool pencil and, and some kind of drawing pad. So yeah, 600 minutes, you get something cool to kind of play along with. Now, the, the highest prize is for 3,600 minutes. That, that's a lot, of, a lot of reading time. I think it's like, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes a day for like, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 weeks. I don't know. Don't trust any of my math. But, but the prize for that is that you get invited to an eager reader party. Yeah, you get your own party. Now, personally, as I looked over the, the prize list, I think they miscalculated because for 1,800 minutes, that's a lot less than, than 3,600 minutes. For, for 1,800 minutes, you get a coupon for free stuff at a place called Legendary Donuts. Yeah, Legendary Donuts. So, you know, in my book, all pun intended, the reality is for me, if you're talking about a prize, I think free stuff from legendary donuts is always going to trump everything else, especially an eager reader party. Unless, of course, the eager reader party is at legendary donuts, and then the party would be legendary. Yeah. For those of you at home, there is no social distancing from my corniness. Sorry. It's just always there. But what if we aren't talking about donuts? What if we're not talking about reading books? What if we're talking about finding the answer to the greatest problem in your life? Would you be eager to know an answer, to find an answer, to find a solution to the greatest problem in your life? Now, you might be thinking, well, which one are you going to pick, buddy? <laughs> which greatest problem are you going to go after? Is it the uncertainty of work and, and school and, and sports right now, is, is that the greatest problem you're going to pick? Is it the uncertainty of, of running out of juice boxes or running out of essential oils? Is, is, that, is that what you're going to pick is the greatest problem? Is the greatest problem maybe what's happening in my marriage or what's happening with my kids or, or what's happening with my aging parents? Maybe, maybe the greatest problem is, is the uncertainty of what's happening with the economy and the uncertainty of what's happening with this virus. Yeah, which, which greatest problem are we going to pick? 
All of those things are real, they're genuine, they're difficult, they're heartbreaking. They're they're all real problems, but they all fall just short of the greatest problem. So, what's the greatest problem? And what's the answer for the greatest problem? Let's see if we can find out. Listen to God's truth from the book of Hebrews in the New Testament of the Bible. We're starting in chapter 9, verse 27. It says this, And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. This series of messages was mapped out about six weeks ago, before COVID-19 was a national pandemic. It was just an international news story. And the reason I point that out is because I don't want you to think that I I pulled this passage out about an appointment with death because of these days. This message was actually planned on February 10th. And so I'll just take that as God's kindness to us to, to draw us into our greatest problem. And our greatest problem is sin and death. Now, some people think that's, that's two different things, sin and death, but, but they are eternally linked together. Death exists because of sin. Paul was writing to his friends at Rome, and this is what he said in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Just as through one man sinner to enter to enter the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. There's a lot we don't know about all that is transpiring in the spread of this virus. And and things seem to be changing by by the hour. But there is absolutely no confusion about the spread of sin. The, The first human rejected God's truth and fully embraced sin. And that sin led to the reality of death. And the reality of sin and death spread to all of humanity. Now, there are many people that scoff at the idea of doing that math together, that that sin and and death and God have have anything to do with one another. And, you know, we can debate, you know, existential philosophy. We can debate dark matter. We can debate political preferences. We can debate anything you want. But at the end of the day, deep in the heart of every person, there is this spiritual, emotional, mental, practical truth that we all know that everyone has an appointment with death. If you just casually look at history over the last 2,000 years, you'll see that a short life expectancy has always been normal for every generation. In the United States, the, the idea that someone would live past the age of 60, especially a significant portion of the population, historically speaking, that's a new development. Statistics kind of point it around the the 1920s when that shift started to happen. And so for the last 100 years, we have been living longer and, and loving those that we love because they've been living longer. And that's great. We should praise the Lord for that common grace. We should praise God for His mercy through science and research and doctors and medicines and nurses and hospitals. But... If we're not careful, often we take that grace and that mercy for granted, and and we kind of forget about the reality of death. 
I was listening to a podcast recently, and, and one of the comments that was made was how most, uh, if, many if not most, modern churches are no longer built with a cemetery next door. And the comment was made that, that oftentimes that maybe has changed the vision of the church. That the church no longer approaches the building to go worship what it means to be alive in Christ, looking at the reality of death. And so maybe we have pulled ourselves away from that reality. I saw something interesting years ago about President Jimmy Carter. It seems that when he was in office, from time to time, he would go stay at the home of just a, an average American. <laughs> he would just he'd go stay at their house. I mean, imagine if, if the president or the queen or some other dignitary were, were coming over to your house for dinner and, and a sleepover. Don't you think you'd do something? I mean, don't you think you'd, you'd prepare? Don't you think you'd, you'd clean up the Legos that are all over the dining room? You know, maybe clean the bathrooms up? Maybe spray some Febreze all over the den? Don't you think you'd, you'd do something? That there'd be some type of preparation? I don't want us to miss the grace of today because the grace of today reminds us that there's grace, there's, there's mercy, there's, there's this opportunity. That in the midst of, of the fear, in the midst of the stress, in the midst of the uncertainty of the unknown, God is being gracious today. He's showing us reality that, that we need to embrace. Perhaps you heard the recent words of philosopher M. David McConaughey this week, and he kind of hit the nail on the head. He said that this virus is raceless, faceless, sexless, non-denominational, and bipartisan. It's true. This, this virus is no dignitary, to be sure. It's, it's no dignitary coming over for dinner. But the call is the same. And so I graciously ask, are you prepared? Are you ready for your appointment? This conversation is about more than, than just death, though. Listen again to what the writer of Hebrews says. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. After death comes judgment. <laughs> about this time, you're like, hey, let's go stream some other church. I got it. I understand. Yeah, a little heavy. But, but stay with me. Stay, stay with me through the heavy so that you can find the hope. Death comes, but then judgment comes. We are a culture and a society clamoring for judgment and accountability. Oh, we, we are all about it. We, we want to hold our politicians accountable. We want to hold the CEOs accountable. We want to hold the, the doctors accountable. We want to hold the, the researchers accountable. We want to hold those who are not social distancing accountable. We want to hold all kinds of people accountable. But we do not want anyone to hold us accountable. I mean, if we're honest. If we're honest, we want to blow up social media with what we think is wrong and who we think is doing the wrong thing. But we cringe and we get defensive if anyone has the audacity to tell us to stay at home. If anyone has the audacity to question our opinion. Now, we love accountability until it comes our way. But again, 
every person that has been created, that we know that there's, there's this thing innate in us, created in us, where we know deep in our heart, even if we can't explain it, that one day, in some way, somehow, we will be held accountable. W.C. Fields was a famous comedian during the early 1900s and up into the mid-1900s. He was never known as a religious man, but the story is told that, that there was a time where he was facing the possibility of death, and, and he began reading the Bible. And someone asked him, they said, well, you know, why are you reading the Bible? And, and being the comedian that he is, he, he said this, I'm looking for loopholes, my friend. Looking for loopholes. There are no loopholes when it comes to standing before God. There's, there's no loopholes. But there is an answer. That there is an answer for the greatest problem. There is an answer for sin and death. And what is that answer? Listen to Hebrews 9.28. So Christ also having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin. As surely as there is an appointment with death, Jesus Christ has made the way for there to be an appointment with life. Jesus has has dealt with the, the greatest problem we have. See, our greatest problem is not finding a loophole for death. Our greatest problem is having the penalty of sin put away. That's our greatest problem. That's our greatest need, to have the penalty of our sin put away. That's what it means for Jesus to bear our sins, as the verse says. And see, here's the thing. If I see you walking down the street and I see a car coming at you, I might jump out in the road, push you out of the way as as an attempt to rescue your life. I, I might make that kind of sacrifice in a split second. But but that has nothing to do with the cross of Jesus. Jesus didn't at the last second run up on the cross to die for sin. It was always the plan. It was what he was going to do. The Bible describes it this way. He bore your sin in his own body. He bore my sin in his own body. He did that. When a person repents and turns to God, when they they believe in the death and the resurrection and the ascension and the return of Jesus Christ, what they are believing in, their faith through the death of Christ actually puts their sin away. Jesus bears your sin. Jesus deals with the greatest problem. This is the beauty of the Bible. See, see the, the Bible is this book that today Think of all the churches in our community. Think of all the churches in our state, in the country, and in the world that are live streaming services today. Maybe they're in the sanctuary, or maybe it's the pastor sitting at his desk at home, but but they are communicating the truth of the Bible. And the Bible is this book that by God's design has this divine ability for every single person that hears it. The Bible can help that person see their greatest 
problem and find the only solution. And that solution, the solution to sin, the solution to death is Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the one and only risen Son of God. Jesus is the answer. Someone might say, but, but how? Why? why? Well, what is the math of all this? Well, when Jesus becomes our greatest answer, when Jesus becomes our greatest solution, when Jesus becomes our greatest treasure, here's what happens. Then in any moment that we're in, no matter what that moment may be, good, bad, happy, sad, whether it's victory or virus, it doesn't matter. Whatever moment we find ourselves in, when Jesus Christ is our greatest treasure, when our faith in Him is our greatest treasure, then that means we can look at every single moment and over and over again sing or say these words. Gracious Bafford, my sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. In any moment, we can look at that moment and say, I bear it no more. I bear it no more. Friend, gracious, simple question. Can you say that? Can you say, I bear my sin no more? If you can, that is the most real, intense vaccination that your soul can ever be inoculated with. Because that truth means that you don't have to carry the guilt of your sin. You don't have to carry the weight of your sin. You don't have to carry the burden of your sin. You don't have to carry the fear of your sin. And if you're not carrying the fear of your sin, if your sin has been put away, that penalty has been put away, then you don't have to carry the fear of death. I bear it no more. I bear it no more, changes everything. When we lie our head down at night, we can sing to our soul, I bear it no more. When we wake up in the morning to uncertainty and confusion, we can still say, I bear it no more. I bear it no more. When you're banking your life on the reality that you no longer have to bear the burden and guilt of your sin, when that's what you're banking your reality on, then we can look at the economy and we can look at the stock market and we can look at the panic and we can look at the fear. We can look at anything in life and we can say with the psalmist, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? What can the market do to me? This is the hope we have in Christ. The hope we have to constantly look at the beauty and the glory of God and find that we are His. Now, does saying, hey, what can man do to me? What can the market do to me? Does that, does that mean that nobody's ever going to hurt us, that 
that we'll never lose money in the market or, or that the economy will never affect us or that, that we'll always escape every sickness that ever comes our way. No, that's not what it means. What it means is this. If the one true God of the universe gave his one and only son to once and for all deal with the problem of sin and death, then we can trust him. We can trust him. Why? Because we bear it no more. But why else? Well, the other reason that we can trust God, even when it feels like we can't or if we don't want to, the reason that we can trust God is because we've actually been created to glorify and enjoy the beauty and the majesty and the grace and the mercy and the love and the salvation of God. That's, that's why we exist. We exist to enjoy God. We exist to worship God. And, and, and why would we exist for that? Why would that be a, an ultimate purpose and an ultimate meaning in life? Well, here's why. Because your spouse and your kids and your pastor and your president and your politicians and anybody else you want to fill in that blank, none of those people have the type of glory and beauty and majesty and mercy and grace and love that will satisfy your soul. See, that's why we glorify God. That's why we enjoy God. That's why we exist for Him because He's the only one who can satisfy our soul. So what does that look like in real life? Henry Martin was born and raised in England he went to be a missionary in India. He died when he was only 31 years old. This is what Henry said. Let men do their worst. Let me be torn to pieces. Or let me labor for 50 years a bit scorn. And never seen one soul converted. Still, it shall not be worse for my soul in eternity. Nor worse for it in time. And listen to what he says here. The Lord Jesus, who controls all events, he is my friend, my master, my God, and my all. And then this, if Christ has work for me to do, I cannot die. What in the world gives someone that kind of confidence? Here's what. See, Henry Martin, he woke up every morning with the confidence to say, I bear it no more. And if he woke up the next morning and that was the morning of his appointment, he would immediately be with Jesus. Or maybe if he woke up one morning, it, it wasn't his appointment, maybe it was the appointment of Jesus. Well, what's the appointment of Jesus? Well, it's his follow-up appointment. It's the appointment where Jesus comes Again, Jesus, because of more than 300 prophecies that he fulfilled with his birth. Jesus, because of all that he said and did while he lived on this earth. Jesus, because of his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension. Jesus, all that he is, gives us every reason to be confident in the fact that he is coming again. Now, for some people, that's, that's more like a fairy tale. For others, they say, well, he hasn't come yet, so it must not be true. But for those who are saved, 
the return of Jesus, the, the second appearing, the second coming of Jesus is epic hope for our lives. Not, not wishy-washy hope. No, see, Jesus was born, he lived, and he was crucified for our sin. And he was buried, and he was raised from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and all of those things serve as the guarantee that our hope is not a fairy tale. Our hope is not a legend. Our hope is real. When Jesus comes again, there will not be one more verse of just as I am, hoping that, that maybe you'll come. When Jesus came the first time, he came as, as a baby in a manger in Bethlehem. Charles Spurgeon said that when he came the first time, he came to, to open wide the doors of grace. But then Spurgeon says this, when he comes a second time, he's coming to shut the door. There's a story told about a frontier town and there was a horse tied to a wagon. Something spooked the horse and, and the horse took off frantically running. There was a little boy in the back of the wagon and his life immediately became in danger. There was a young man there in the town. He saw what was happening and he took off. He, he ran as fast as he could. He was able to, to catch the horse and, and rescue the little boy. Many years went by and the, the little boy grew up to be a scoundrel. And one day he found himself arrested a prisoner and was taken before a judge. The young man who had saved him all those years ago grew up to be that judge. Once the little boy realized who it was, he, he pleaded for mercy. But on that day, the young man who rescued him said this to him. Young man, then I was your savior. Today, I am your judge. Again, I graciously ask, are you prepared? Are you ready for the appointment? Are you, are you ready for the appearing of Jesus? Are you ready for the return of Jesus? And who's Jesus going to appear to? Well, he's he's going to appear to the whole world. The language of the Bible says that in some way, somehow, immediately, the whole world will know that, that Jesus is here. But beautifully, and strategically, Jesus also is very specifically appearing to a group of people. Who? Listen to the last part of verse 28. To those who eagerly await him. The question is asked, what must you do to be saved? I love how somebody has put it. What must you do to be saved? You must trust Christ in such a way that you are eager to see him that you long to see him. Now, longing to see Jesus doesn't mean that, that you ignore your family, that you ignore your job, you ignore school, that you ignore your friends, that, that you just kind of blow off all your responsibilities and you, you know, go, go put on a white toga and go sit on a, a mountaintop somewhere in Jerusalem. No, that's not what it means. To be eager to see Jesus just means this, that when you realize that you are in Christ, when you remember that the greatest problem of your life has been dealt with, when you realize that you no longer carry the burden of your sin, that you bear it no more, when that reality strikes your soul, strikes your heart, strikes your mind, when that truth 
hits, you are again able to say, you know what? My first and greatest desire is Jesus. I'm, I'm eager to see Jesus. Maybe you've heard this week that some folks are putting up their Christmas decorations. I mean, it's, it's a fun idea, right? I mean, the whole idea is, hey, you know, Christmas is just this time of, of hope and, and we're in this time of uncertainty. So they're putting up their Christmas decorations, putting up their lights, hanging things up in the house, just, just trying to bring some hope and some happiness into their life. It's, it's a fantastic idea if you understand the true meaning of Christmas. This is what Charles Wesley said. Hail the heavenly prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons and the daughters of earth. Born to give them second birth. Born to bear their sin so that they bear their sin no more. Born to bring an appointment of life for the appointment of death. Born to bring help and hope when everything feels hard and impossible. Yeah, hang lights, put up the decorations, if for no other reason than just to remind your heart of what it means to be in Christ. You know the rest of the song. Even, even you kids, y'all know the rest of the song. Won't we all sing it together? Just to close the sermon out a little bit. Hark the herald angels sing Glory to the newborn King 